I imagine you have a lot of questions about the Vikings right now. Where's Justin Jefferson? What's going on with the defense? What's going on with that tight end room? Let's answer answer those three on the Lockdown Vikings podcast. You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, everybody? Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Locked On Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at LukeBraunNFL. You can find the show on Twitter at LockedOnVikings. Thank you so much for making Locked On Vikings your first listen of the day. Today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at LinkedIn.com slash LockedOnNFL. Today on the show, I want to be... Um, a little bit of let's clarify some things. <laughs> the there are questions that I've been getting a lot that I think are really central to the Vikings, and I think I have pretty good answers to all of them now. So let's talk about them. The first one and the titular question of this episode is about Justin Jefferson. Where is Justin Jefferson going? Why isn't he open? Why isn't he there? Is he regressing? Is he bad? Oh no! Right? Should, is 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 this it? Is Justin Jefferson over? Is the party over? <laughs> I think people like secretly want to be like the first person to be like, what if Justin Jefferson's bad so they can be the fastest cynical person? Um, But no, that's not the case. The Lions sold out. And like it says in the title of this particular episode, I'm good with that. You can sell out to stop Justin Jefferson because what it requires was something the Lions couldn't handle. They left the entire rest of the offense essentially one-on-one with perfect opportunities. And they couldn't hang with that, especially down the stretch. They couldn't hang with that. And that led to essentially what you knew would end up being man coverage. And you were able to use stacks and like deep crossers to take advantage of that. And that entire last drive was a giant example of the Lions getting punished for what they did how how for how much they committed to stopping Justin Jefferson um which is a very encouraging thing so let me explain what did they do to cover Justin Jefferson the actual coverage calls are going to vary team to team but I'll I'll give you the this broad strokes by the way phenomenal write up by Sean Syed who's been on this show uh, over at Daily Norseman which I will link in the show notes if I remember and if I forget to please yell at me <laughs> So the it started with Jeff Okuda shadowing. And it's actually a really similar thing to what the Eagles did too, but they didn't shadow. Everything else was just about the same. Um, Jeff Okuda shadowed, lined up in press just about every play, and mugged the absolute crap out of Justin Jefferson on every play. It's just you just jammed the bejesus out of him. That's the coaching point. Now, if if things ended there, that would be a catastrophe. That would be a really bad game plan because Justin Jefferson's releases are very good. They're very uh, explosive, and you could get caught jamming, and he can run right past you, and he'd be streaking down the field wide open. So you don't want to just do that. But in the event of that happening, they had a safety over the top of him. So they would run quarter, quarter, half, 
versions or half quarter quarter. And essentially the call would be, we talked about this previewing the Eagles, um, like their Zeus 18 call, which actually the Vikings have the same call. I don't know if they have the same words for it, but it's the same call where you take quarters on one side, halves on the other, right? Like we've been talking about all year. And you put the half side in Zeus, you put the half side wherever the call is. So Zeus left means, um, Zeus means halves to the left and then quarters to the right. Zeus 18 means halves to wherever 18 is. So that would be the Zeus 18 call. And that means you always have a deep half safety on Justin Jefferson's side of the field. And whatever he does, if he ever goes vertical, the safety will bracket over the top of him. So that's kind of two layers of defense. If it's anything short, you have Jeff Okuda playing press. And by the way, he's playing press man trail, which means his job is to trail behind Justin Jefferson and if Cousins tries to show, t- tries to throw at Justin Jefferson because of the step that Okuda is essentially allowing Jefferson to have, there's a safety over the top to contest that. So Okuda just has to play behind him. And then if Jefferson ever turns around or tries to cut, then Okuda is there kind of playing that underneath. And so you have this kind of under over this vertical bracket on anything. And then if he goes across the field, which the Vikings use a lot to get Justin Jefferson open, they torched the Packers with Justin Jefferson going across the field on a shallow cross or a deep cross, shallow cross, a, a dig or anything, right? A spear, which is like a kind of opposite side of the field corner route, if you will, like a deep post kind of. If they do any of that stuff, then you have another safety that's poaching it, essentially. That's there to pick up any crossers and therefore pick up anything from Justin Jefferson that you have. So both safeties are prioritizing Justin Jefferson and you have Jeff Okuda jamming him every single time and playing anything underneath him. That's a lot of resources. Like just count this up, right? You've got both safeties and Jeff Okuda. Okay, that's three players on Justin Jefferson. It's not literal triple coverage. It won't ever look like triple coverage, but it's three players assigned to him. And then say you're not blitzing. So you have four um, pass rushers. So three on Jefferson, four pass rushers that accounts for seven of the 11 defensive players. You got four skill players left over and four defenders left over. Everybody else is one-on-one. And what that led to was Adam Thielen one-on-one with uh, Awarie all day, cornerback. And Awarie couldn't hang, and so he held all day. And they, you could tell that, that this was a coaching point, that it was like, hey, do what you got to do. Like, get your hands on him. Be physical with him. And if we get called, we get called. And he got called all the time. So many times did he get called. Uh, And he could have been called probably twice as much. But it's, I mean, it's a calculated risk. Like, you are probably going to get away with some, right? They're not calling it every single play. They're never going to do that. So I get the plan, but it didn't work. It gave the Vikings a bunch of free first downs. It let them move down the field. It sort of sparked their comeback. They were down 24-14, and the drive that I believe ended in Alexander Madison's touchdown run was like four penalties in a row to start. It was four first downs in a row, and a couple of them were first downs via penalty. Uh, and they were penalties on, I believe, all on Awarie. So that plan didn't work. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. You might have stopped him from getting more, but you gave up way too many first downs doing that. So I don't think, like, next time we play the Lions, I don't think we're seeing that. Maybe we won't see this kind of, like, full-on commitment to Justin Jefferson either. Um, and we'll see 
if the Saints do the same thing. Everybody has this version of that coverage where both safeties are watching a guy where you're just totally into a guy, you're double covering him all day, capping him, whether it's a quarter, quarter, half, or whether it's some version of a cover two or whether it's some kind of man thing. Um, every defense has a version of that dude scares the crap out of us. Let's spend everything to stop him. Um, but a couple of quiet games from Justin Jefferson, then you might start to see teams go, well, is he that scary? And then start to let off and then he'll go off again. And then teams will get really scared and they're going to start clamping him again. And it's, it's season kind of ebbs and flows. This is how seasons go. This is why you don't see guys get 150 yards every single game and why it's so inconsistent because things kind of ebb and flow like that. But if they're going to do that and they're going to leave Adam Thielen and KJ Osborne one-on-one and the Vikings show that they can make two score comebacks with that being the case, I'll take it. You can play the game that way and we'll keep winning games to corner rest to KJ Osborne at the end of the game in the end zone. Works for me. Um, there's a couple other things I want to talk about. I want to talk defense. Um, I want to talk about the tight ends as well. I have a tight end article that should be out sometime today. So um, we'll get into that as well. Uh, but first things first, let's talk about jobs. It's hiring season. Fall is like primo hiring time. And if you have a job opening that you're trying to fill, especially for your small business, you probably are thinking about using LinkedIn jobs. And I'm here to tell you to use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn jobs is a fantastic place to put your job uh, posting, not only because of the gigantic network of over 810 million people, nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn, but they also have a bunch of simple tools, screening questions and stuff that make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on NFL. That's linkedin.com slash locked on NFL to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you so much for making Lockdown Vikings your first listen of the day. Uh, if you like this particular show, if you like the Wednesday show where I get a little deeper into things, I strongly recommend that you check out patreon.com slash NFL. It is my version of actual tape breakdowns and my ability to kind of do more than I can do on this show, which is primarily an audio medium where I have to be very descriptive. I can't show you tape, but I can on Patreon. So go check that out. Uh, most of what I do on Patreon will be free, or at least it'll be free a day or two after it comes out. Um, so please join and help me keep that ad free and paywall free. So next up, let's stay on the offensive side of the ball. Um, let's talk about the tight ends. I have an article coming out, uh, at zone coverage, but probably is out by the time you read this about the tight ends. Um, a lot of questions about like, what's the deal with Irv Smith? There was even a debate on the Minnesota football party on Monday. Is Johnny Munt better than Irv Smith? Or maybe that was last week. Is Johnny Munt better than Irv Smith? And the answer is no, but that's not universal to everything. But it's very clear that the Vikings have roles carved out for all of these guys. And they only really subvert those roles, like just barely enough to make it so the defense can't rely on it. You know, like just enough to keep them on their toes. So, so this isn't to tell like when Ben Ellison comes on the field, he's involved in just enough passing plays so that it's not. So Ben Ellison isn't to tell that it's enough of a tell that it's a run to be able to like change your technique. But otherwise he's mostly a run blocker and he's playing a lot fewer snaps. Um, also, in the last two games, it's worth noting that Irv Smith has gotten almost 40, 40 snaps and Johnny Munt is getting fewer. And so that kind of flipped from week one. Johnny Munt was like the main guy 
And then the last two weeks, Irv Smith has been the main guy. Um, I would anticipate that it keeps going the way it was going. And week one was just sort of a, we're messing with the Packers thing. (laughs) I don't think that's like the sustainable game plan. Um, but snap count wise is only going to tell you so much. You kind of got to watch what they're having these guys do. And when you watch what they're having these guys do, Irv Smith is down the field way more often than either of these other guys, right? And it makes sense. He's faster. He's a better separator. Um, and he's just ultimately a better pass catcher. A-, a lot of people are really upset about the drops. And the drops are... I would say mild concern, but you've had one drop a game in the last two games. That's not a pattern. (laughs) Two data points does not a pattern make. So it's not that it can't be that concerning until it's more of a pattern. Also, in that Eagles game, you didn't remember it as much because it wasn't a probable touchdown. And so Irv Smith's drop probably makes you matter. But Johnny Smith's drop was way more egregious. That was looking straight at it, you know, coming back to the ball, a much easier catching situation than having to like track it over your shoulders a lot harder. Both of them, absolutely, you should catch. But Johnny Munt's drop was worse. He just didn't also have what I guess you could argue is a drop. I don't know if I would call that like a full-on egregious drop, what, what Irv Smith did in the, the Lions game. Because again, coming over the shoulder, there was somebody kind of draped on him. He even thought he he could maybe ask for a flag after that. So there's some contact that you were fighting through still absolutely got to catch it, but calling it a drop entails something a little different. So I don't know if I would do that. All of that is to say, if it's third and 12 Irv Smith's on the field for me, I'm putting Irv Smith on the field on situations where I need somebody to be fast and go downfield and actually, you know, be part of a horizontal stretch downfield or something like that. And it seems like the Vikings agree. And it seems like they want that job more. That's the most important job to them because when Irv Smith's been fully healthy or fully ready to go, I don't know, with week one, it seems like it was a fluke. They insisted it was a fluke, and it seems like that's bearing out. Um, They prefer to have Irv Smith on the field than any of the other guys. But Ben Ellison is a fantastic blocker. He was very good in that Lions game as well. Um, All of these tight ends, all three of these tight ends, have highlights against Aiden Hutchinson. Um, either sledding him down the field or just totally stonewalling him in pass pro or what have you, reaching him, what have you. Um, but Johnny Munt, oh, Johnny Munt is cooking. I, it's, I, like, there's something of a in-joke going around now about, like, Johnny Munt is everything. But, man, I, I mean this in all seriousness. This is not a joke. or He is, I think he was a top five player on the Vikings in that game. And it's just that what he was asked to do is a little bit more unglamorous. There's a little bit more blocking, a little bit more stay in pass protection, a little bit more just, you know, run a spot route and some of the easier stuff that's a little more unglamorous. But when he was asked to do something difficult, like hold up against an edge rusher one on one, and that's not only Aiden Hutchinson, who maybe he was playing hurt, but also he's kind of like that. He doesn't seem like he's playing very well. I don't know. Rookie, maybe. Call it that. Whatever excuse you want. He was not a challenging opponent. Um, or, but it, sometimes it was Charles Harris, or sometimes it was number two on the Lions. I forget his name, but number two on the Lions is a defensive end. Guys, that should be a mismatch for him, and Johnny Munt was holding up beautifully against them. Pass pro, run blocking, what have you. Moving guys, one of you wanting guys, um, combo blocking, so climbing up to linebackers, setting up linebackers in the receiving game. 
found some separation on his own. Um, not quite as much as Irv Smith gets, but plenty. Uh, it, Johnny Mutt was a genuinely awesome player, just in a way that doesn't typically get noticed, and that's why I want to highlight it. Um, I don't know. I hope he can still he can keep having games like that. The impact is obviously going to be limited just by what the role is. I mean, you know, he's not Justin Jefferson streaking downfield or anything like that, but that stuff matters. Um, and it, it helps to unlock other things. You know, if you can trust Johnny Munt against their edge rusher one-on-one in the run, that means you get double teams on the inside and that makes Garrett Bradbury look better. It makes Ed Ingram develop a little bit better. Like it all trickles down to everybody else and everything's kind of symbiotic. Johnny Munt was very central, like a very kind of linchpin cog in the machine kind of piece. Um, but very happy with how he played. So all these guys have their role. You know, you've got Johnny Munt kind of doing a little bit of everything, Irv Smith being more of a receiver and an okay blocker. And then you have Ben Ellison being a blocker and just kind of an okay receiver. And then Johnny Munt being very good at both things. These guys really working in and out and being part of that role. It seems like tight end by committee is the Vikings plan from here on out for their tight ends. Um, and I dig it. I, I think we also, when you talk about Irv Smith, you got to understand how much is expectation coloring your evaluation. When you say something like, yeah, Johnny Munt's better than Irv Smith. Okay. If somebody, if you had to trade away a tight end right now and you got the same price back, no matter who it was, are you really getting rid of Irv Smith, the guy who is the, a better receiver and plays more snaps and keeping Johnny Munt? Or if, you know, if, if one guy went down for the season, who would you be sadder about it being right? Um, I think there's been a lot of talk about like potential and nerves. And, and I've done a lot of, I've said a lot about like Irv Smith's potentials through the roof. Um, I've definitely hyped him up a lot. And I think because I set that hype really high when he hasn't reached it and he's been good, but not that high, I would say he's been like good, not great, or maybe above average, not great. Um, but when, when you get that high hype and you don't live up to it, it's really easy to think of that as a negative. Whereas Johnny Munt, you had no expectations for half of people didn't have him making the roster. And now he's like playing really well. Well, he's exceeded his expectations and Irv Smith has not exceeded his expectations, but it's hard to like, it's important not to mix that up with Johnny Munt just being like a from scratch, better player, which he is not. Um, that like he is exceeding his expectations where Irv Smith isn't, but the expectations were very different. Like that doesn't mean when you actually put him in a vacuum and put them next to each other, I'll take Irv Smith 10 days out of 10. Um, uh, let's flip to the defense next and talk about some of what went wrong. And I got a Patreon video that I'll talk about a little bit too. Um, so that, yeah, let, let's get into that next. So obviously the defense is a mess. Got a million questions about it on yesterday's Twitter Tuesday mailbag. Um, what's wrong with it? Like, what, what, what's happening? Is the scheme? Is it execution? Blah, blah, blah. Here's my best shot at what's going on. Obviously, it's going to be a combination of the two. There's some stuff with the scheme. There's some stuff with the scheme that's, like, a purposeful concession in favor of getting something else, some other advantage. So some stuff the scheme, like, takes on the chin on purpose, and it's, so it's never going to get fixed because it's, like, part of the strategy. And then there's some stuff that needs to get fixed that's execution, Right. Or some stuff that maybe they should, like, they should blitz more. I just think they should. It doesn't seem like they're going to. doesn't seem like that's how they want to live, but they should just blitz more. And maybe if they can trust the corners a little bit more on the outside, they'll start blitzing more. And Maybe it depends on quarterback and stuff. But if you're not blitzing Jared Goff more than 10 times in the game, who are you blitzing? Um, 
So that that's one thing. But I did a, a Patreon video that came out. As you're listening to this, it may be open to the public, it may not, but it's definitely open to patrons. Um, doing all of the fourth downs. Dan Campbell went for fourth down six times and got four of them. And they actually turned out to be a nice little sampling of all the things that are wrong with the defense. Let's start with the run. So the Vikings keep two safeties on the roof at all times. They always line up in a too high shell. The broadcast says it all the time. It's just what they do, and they're going to do that every snap, more or less. There's some exceptions, like some fourth and one exceptions, but more or less every snap, kind of no matter what, there will always be two safeties high. And that makes it difficult for the quarterback to read it, right? Every snap looks the same, so you don't get as much information. That's the point of that. But what it means is, and the Lions did a really good job of attacking this and truly exploiting it is and like a better job than I think most teams will do. And the lions have one of the best run games in the league, if not the best run game in the league. So that shouldn't surprise you to hear, but what that means is that if you don't have enough players in the box and the Vikings will very often allow this to not to happen where you just don't have enough players in the box, um, you're going to be, you're going to have uncovered gaps or you're going to have to ask players to two gap. And the Vikings kind of don't even do that sometimes. So let's say you have six blockers. So five linemen and a tight end, a gap between each of them and the outside means seven gaps, right? Six people, seven potential lanes for the running back to run through. Draw that out if you need. (laughs) Then you have six players in the box, right? So it's six on six, which is a neutral box, but you have an uncovered gap somewhere, and it's the running back's job to find it. Well, somebody replaces in that uh, scenario. A lot of times it's the nickel corner. Um, Or if you're in base, you probably won't have that problem. But if you're a nickel and the nickel corner isn't necessarily in the box, but maybe they'll cheat inside a little bit, be part of the run fit. So what if you take a puller, like it's power or counter, you take a pulling lineman and go from one side of the formation to the other, right? And let's say one of the fourth down runs goes right up the C-gap, I believe it was. Um, a pulling tight end blocked to the outside, which kind of creates a whole new gap. Now you have a gap between that pulling tight end and the tackle. There's that C-gap, and now there's another one to the outside. Call it the D-gap if you want, but I think it's just like the edge. Um, so now you have a whole extra gap to worry about that gap just kind of turned into two gaps. And let's say you've got like one big hole for a guy to run through and somebody, a new blocker that's pulling across the formation comes in and fills it. Well, now there's a gap on either side of him. So you sort of split one gap into two and now your defense needs to have an extra defender to deal with that. Or they need to ask a defender to cover both sides of that gap, which can be very difficult or called two gaps. If you keep doing that, the Lions did that a lot, right? They had a lot of pullers, a lot of people going across the formation, a lot of motion behind the the line, a lot of stuff moving around. Keep doing that, and eventually, the defense, which can go to, well, maybe for the first puller, we'll have a linebacker pull across with him. And then for another thing, maybe we'll have the the nickelback get involved. And then for another, eventually, you run the defense through all of its paces, and the safety has to get involved. That's the goal for the offense. The offense wants to get the safety involved and then the safety who is up on the roof, the safety's lined up 30 yards off the ball, 
now has to come in and actually fill in the run, and they're going to be coming from way too deep. Wherever they collide with the running back, assuming they even make the tackle, is probably going to be after a decent game. That is essentially how the Lions did it, and plus everybody won their blocks a lot because the Lions' offensive line is good. Um, Not in a concerning way, if that's what anybody's worried about. That's how they're doing it. It is all a numbers game, and the Vikings just aren't willing to commit enough numbers to the run game at the expense of their pass game. They're just prioritizing the pass a lot and letting people run on them. That's the the headline of it, but that's kind of the mechanics of how it works. Um, Eventually, the safety needs to get involved in the run fit. And for the defense, the goal is to string out the run or to delay the run in some way for a long enough for the safety to have time to get down into the box. Um, And for the offense, the goal is to very quickly require the safety to be somewhere where it's impossible for him to be. And for whatever it's worth, I thought Bynum and Metellus both played very well. I thought Bynum actually played like very well. And I thought Metellus played fine Um, at like fine, at least maybe good, but there's some coverage problems, which is what I'll get into next that maybe were his fault, but maybe weren't. And I, you kind of can't tell unless you're in the room. Um, So like, it's not their fault. It's just that offenses are requiring them to do an impossible task. The Vikings know that. And for strategic reasons, for the sake of the pass defense, they are not going to fix it. They're not, they're just going to say, that's okay. This is going to be really hard and we're going to give up some run yards and that's fine. Again, you want the really boiled down kind of high level take. They are sacrificing run production in, favor of of stopping more pass production there boom but why aren't they stopping pass production well that's less of a schematic problem and more of a whoops we keep messing up problem and it's all just communications in a lot of these coverages whether they're in cover one which is a man coverage uh cover six or eight which is kind of their base zone whatever they're in all of these coverages have some kind of weakness right um, what if somebody goes out quick to the flat and you didn't have somebody to the flat? What if, you know, the running back releases to the wrong side of the field and now, you know, a nickel that was going to cover him has to chase him all the way across. And, you know, like what if these bad things happen? There are adjustments in all of these calls that every team does these differently. So this is why you just can't know if who is responsible for making the call and who is responsible for hearing the call. But for one example, there's a cut call which is for a cover one. This happened on one of the fourth and ones, um, the one where Jared Goff like rolled out and found, I think it was Josh Reynolds like wide open. You're like, how did that happen? Um, and I think like for as hard as I went on Ed Donatel after the Eagles game, it's not really softness. It's not that they're like playing too far back. There's a little bit of that. And some of that's just how Cam Dantzler plays. And it's just like a critique of Dantzler specifically. But a lot of it is just, they just mess up. They just mess these calls up. So this cut call is if you have a shallow cross coming across the field and it would have been Eric Kendricks's job to cover Josh Reynolds on a shallow cross. Well, we all saw what happened to Anthony Barr against Sean McVay. You don't want that, <laughs> right? You don't want him to turn up field and have a, a giant touchdown, right? So what do you do? Well, you can make what's called a cut call, which means the safety in that case would come down and pick up that crosser And then the linebacker, Eric Kendricks, would back off and do what that safety's job was, which is like an underneath lurking, find something to pick off kind of zone. Um, Basically say, you and I switch jobs. It's called cut. You would yell it out. Some teams would yell it out like cut and the first name. So you say like cut Josh or Josh cut or Eric cut or whatever, right? Um, That is what 
Eric Kendricks thought would happen. So he started to back off as though he was going to become the underneath zone player. And Josh Metellus just played the underneath zone, never picked up that crosser. So you just had Eric Kendricks pass a guy off to where nobody was. Now, is that Eric Kendricks' job or is that the safety's job that varies team to team? I don't know how the Vikings do it. But that's the kind of thing that kept going wrong. The other thing on the fourth down specifically, they just got caught in man coverage a lot with the wrong leverage and their blitzes didn't get home. And so Jared Goff could just kind of sit there and wait for someone to get open. More of an execution issue. Um, but also that'll happen on fourth and one too. So really the problem is with these adjustments. It's a, a lot of, it's not so much like there's some of like just screwing up rules screwing up like did i have the vertical guy or not but a lot of it comes when one person thinks that there's an adjustment to the coverage and one person doesn't this will iron itself out in time won't iron itself they have to work very hard to iron it out but they will they will they will figure out how to communicate with each other they'll start to gel more and more each game here i would hope that you can kind of dwindle on the amount of these problems um as each game goes and it's going to be a little subtle, but eventually you'll notice that it's been happening a lot less lately, you know? So it'll be okay eventually, but it's not going to be okay right away. So the conclusion is things are going to score on you. Saints offense is in a terrible way, and we'll transition to Saints mode here. Saints offense is broken. I'm going to talk to Ross uh, tomorrow on the show, Ross Jackson, um, and I'm going to ask him, like, the first thing I'm going to ask him is, like, what is wrong with that offense? It's got so many weapons, and it's, like, terrible. The Vikings are kind of a get-right kind of unit. And so I could see the Saints, like, finally having the day where they find their rhythm just because of how often the Vikings mess up this stuff. Talk to me about it in December, early December, mid-December, when they've had a little bit more time. I would expect some of that to iron out a little bit. And the question is, will they still have a chance to make the playoffs? Um, but Hey, start out two and one, go win in London, start out three and one. That sure will help to answer that question. So we got crossover Thursday, tomorrow, Friday, we'll do our, you betcha and all that stuff. And then I will be in London. So the podcast is going to be a little different. It's going to be a little bit more live and free flowing. Cause I won't have the usual like editing capabilities that I have. Um, so I'm excited for all of that. I will see you all tomorrow. And as always skull.